We're back for part two. Now we were just talking about monthly payments being a driving force uh, for people. Like you said, you're not a broker, you're not a mortgage broker. So you send someone to sit down with a mortgage broker to kind of run the numbers. So I super easy. I just went to Google while we were on our break. So a $300,000 loan for a VA, it's just easy numbers uh, at a 5.25, which is about average right now for VA is a 1659 payment. Now, if you go back to interest rates where I bought my house with you, and let's go to 3.0, that $1,650 becomes $1,260. It is $400 less at 2.5 points. And before we start diving into the monthly budget, I just want to remind everyone that these are high for what we've seen in the last five or six years. Still not the highest since the 2008-2009 crash and not the highest we've seen in our lifetime on mortgage rates. There was a time when mortgage rates were like 16 across the board in the 80s. Terrifying. So people need to be able to, when they go to buy a house, especially with these house prices rising, to be able to understand that they might pay like a 7.8% interest rate. And that's getting up there, but that's not terrible. So that 7.8 on a $300,000 house is $2,150 a month. Sheesh. Just quick math. Three. So three points is like $1,250. 5.5 is all the way up to 1650 and 7.5 is about 2150. Just right. things to keep in mind when they go to buy their house. And that's the conversation I have to have um, very candidly nowadays, you know, it, and I have it on our first call or our first meeting. I just manage expectations because I don't want anyone to, especially first time home buyers who may just be like so thrilled and so excited and and, you know, I've already been looking at houses on Zillow and I'm like, no, stop it. <laughs> Zillow stop. is your worst enemy. Seriously, stop. It's like, right. it's like a woman looking at wedding dresses before even finding the man that she wants to marry. Like, it's just, it's so silly to me. It's hey. so, it's like, why are you, no, why are you doing this to yourself? Because then you are, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, so I don't like it when people house hunt online just based on what they think they might be able to afford. Well, why not just talk to a mortgage lender? It doesn't cost you a dime to simply have a conversation with a professional. Um, so, you know, you, you create this perception of, of what you're going to get when you're, when you're house hunting and then you fall in love with something and you fall in love with a certain type of home that you might see online. And then you come to find out huge disappointment. You can't afford nearly half of that. So um, the first conversation I like to have is what is your ideal monthly payment on a home? Let me write that down. I'm going to connect you with a mortgage lender so you can go through the pre-approval process. Um, now, if, if there's a cash buyer, obviously completely different story, but we're talking about um, most individuals purchase homes with a loan. So, um, you know, we need to think about monthly payments. And then we go through the pre-approval process and we find out based on today's interest rates, based on the taxes in the county that you're looking to purchase in, and based on your um, credit score, credit history, overall finances as a buyer, what price point of a home do we need to stay under in order to remain within this monthly payment? And that's how we start house hunting. And then I want you to tell me how many bedrooms and bathrooms you want. And then I want you to tell me whether you want the kitchen to have an island or not. I don't want to talk about any of that until we talk the numbers because I'm here 
for a positive experience with guidance and education so that we can actually arrive at having a home. Um, and uh, yeah, so the interest rates have tremendously changed that and they're continuous, continuing to rise. So it, let's say I have a buyer today that got pre-approved maybe 30, 40 days ago. I'm constantly asking the lender to like rerun the numbers because every time I see the rates have increased, okay, how much can they afford now? You know, so, and that, and if we're not under contract on a home yet, then that changes what we need to look for. That pre-approval, basically numbers go down, especially in this year where we, they said, was it, they, there was originally supposed to be three rate hikes and now they're expecting like, like eight or something, some almost, oh, maybe a double digit number now, but they over doubled over three and it's at least six. But I think the last number I heard was eight rate spikes throughout the year. We don't even have eight more months in the year. And they plan on hiking it up that many times. Uh, and side point, uh, you said women don't look at wedding dresses before you even meet the guy. All I'm saying is lower your expectation, ladies. You may end up happier. That's all I'm going to say. Jeff's a single. That, that's that tidbit for today's episode. Wait, say that again. <laughs> what? Jeff is single. Oh, my God. Lower your expectation, woman. You know what that means. So, um, now, we're back to the real estate. We talked about, you know, purchasing power and everything else, especially with rates going up. Why do you think we're in such a seller's market right now? <sighs> it's definitely not a buyer's market. You have no leverage. <laughs> so People. the easy answer to that is because low inventory. Mm. Um, so let's just go with that. Um, let's keep it. Let's keep it easy because there could be a, a million things that I could speculate. But why are we in a seller's market? Well, because there's competition from buyers. So buyers are looking for homes and there aren't enough homes for every buyer to have. So buyers are being competitive. That's why we're in a seller's market. Sellers have the upper hand. Um, so it's like, you know, if there are 10 buyers, but there's only one home on the market, they're all going to be bidding on it. Like, let's just keep it simple. But um, so that's why, that's why we're in a seller's market. Um, and, you know, even though we have experienced rising rates still in a seller's market, it's been what, maybe like two or three months that rates have been like consistently like rising and rising. And we're still yeah. very much in the seller's market because the values of the homes, they're not just going to immediately lower just because the, the rates are rising. This is a gradual effort. It's going to take um, months to, to maybe even two, three years. Maybe even years. Right. For it to level out because you, they, they rose so high. They just did it. It's something that I don't think anyone ever expected. Um, whether you're in the realm of real estate or not, um, you know, this every, every week, every month, every, every new headline is still something of shock because just when we thought that there was a time where I thought, man, I can't believe I'm offering like $10,000 over asking for my buyers to get a home today. I'm offering like 30 grand over asking and next month I'm probably going to be offering 40 grand over asking, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just, it still shocks me, but I guess it shouldn't. As an investor, it hurts to hear that. I'm always trying to get wholesale prices and people are thinking they can sell their rundown house that needs a hundred thousand of work. 
for market rates and it hurts so bad. So is that, is that like a hurdle then um, going forward? That's just going to keep getting worse because I mean, the house is clearly worth something, but we're in a seller's market. So you offer 20, 30 over, and that's not enough. Like, like what, where do you see that going? Like what's going to happen there? Are people still going to be motivated to buy or is that when things are going to start to decline? Cause that seems really unattainable. Like you said, offering that, 10 over now you're at 30 three times that i mean people barely want to offer anything up front you know what what, where do you see this going i personally don't think i have enough experience with the number side of real estate to to properly give you an answer to be honest with you um even like even though i am a realtor like i said earlier it feels like i've been in it longer but i've been in the business for about two two and a half years or so and I, my only experience in real estate was in the COVID days until the last few months. So personally, I don't think I'm the person to answer that or to kind of give advice on that. But what I do see just in in general terms, it's going to get to a point where the rise of the rates kind of levels out with the values of the homes. And then that's when, you know, they kind of interact with each other. And then we start to see the values of the homes come down. Just a bit, like little by little, we'll start to see. But I don't think, to to answer one of your questions, I don't think um, buyers are just going to lose the motivation to buy a home. But if they do, then we'll see, if if we see a substantial decline in buyer motivation, then the market's just going to flip. You know, if if people are not competing for the little bit of homes that are available, then we're just going to slowly enter into a buyer's market instead. So, um, I I think there's, I don't know, to best put it, there's always a shift that can come. It's just a matter of what kind of shift. I think as long as you, people can make that monthly payment. And uh, unfortunately with the rates that I've seen and when I run my numbers, the market rate are matching rents right now. So people are getting out of their home or out of their rental, whether it be an apartment or a house down the street. And they're paying the same for the same house, which, you know, as long as stuff stays somewhat consistent, I don't think there's going to be a drop in any type of uh, like the, the drive to buy from people because they do get that long-term appreciation. They do get that, uh, you know, those tax write-offs, they get that ownership uh, and they get a, an asset that they can use in the future to leverage, whether it be uh, HELOC so they can pay for their kids' braces or to sell it and make money in the future. Um, and like I said, at least in Charleston, a lot of the rates are getting to where you buy a $380,000 house and it has four bedrooms. Well, your, uh, the rent on a four bedroom is like $100 more. So it's still advantageous to buy that house, especially with VA or FHA loan, which is only 3.5% down, not 20%. So until you, I feel like those rates start making your monthly payment more, then your rents, I don't think that's going to stop. Yeah. And also, regardless of what market we're in, every dollar that you spend on rent is a dollar lost. So I think that that is the biggest driving factor for anyone who is qualified to buy a home um, and can afford to buy a home because there are costs. Even if you don't have a down payment, you have closing costs. So, you know, you need to be able to afford to even go through the closing process. Um, but every dollar that you spend on rent is a dollar lost. So 
I think that that is the biggest driving factor for people to want to have property of their own. Um, and, you know, ironically enough, a lot of people who want to own property might end up like renting out that property later and Hey, shout out, shout out. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm in the same boat, you know, I'm, I'm about to buy a house myself and I'm immediately thinking of when I'm going to, so I'm doing a primary residence loan so that I can get a lower down payment. So I'll be moving into it, but then I'm going to move out of it as soon as I, as I hit my, um, my requirement. So I think my lender told me um, if I buy it on a conventional 3% down, I have to live in it for like six months before I can start to rent it out. So I'm just thinking, okay, in six months, I just buy the next one and then I'll rent the first, you just know, kind of so, house hack, house hack your way through multiple houses. So so even, sorry, I said, don't even unpack, don't unpack the boxes, nothing, just blow up mattress on the floor, Literally. six months. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the best way for, for people to, to have property of their own, especially with like having costs lowered as much as possible is to do a primary residence. Um, and then, you know, let's say you live in, you say you get a three bedroom, you live in one bedroom, you rent out the other two that could pay the entire mortgage. Um, and then six months to a year later, you buy another one and you move into that one, but then you rent out the first, the, the full three bedrooms, and then that pays the entire mortgage and then some, you know? So, um, that's what I'm looking to do myself, but just going back to, to the main point of our buyers going to lose that motivation to buy. I don't think the, the actual motivation is going to be lost because the motivation is to invest your money into something versus throwing it away in rent. Um, but it's just a matter of how much motivation our buyers going to have to be competitive because I might want something, but if I don't want to, but if, if there's enough of the thing that I want for me to find without having to compete for it, then I'm not going to be a competitive buyer. So mm. personally I'm in those shoes right now. Like I, I got in with this new construction. They have a brand new development, about 300 homes they're building in this one community. And they have a long list of the next release for this upcoming week. And I'm just, you know, taking my time to pick which one I want because there are so many and I'm one of the first to jump in. So I'm not offering over asking price for any of these new constructions because why would I? Yeah. There's and no need. And I think, you know, another and back to the point like with the motivation one, the only time your mortgage is going to change is if your county decides to change taxes. And even then it's maybe going to be 25 to $50 a month or your insurance spikes, which usually your insurance goes down every year. So, you know, your, where your rent, if you rent anywhere guaranteed, every time you resign your lease, your rent is going to go up. Whereas your mortgage is going to be probably within $50 for the next 30 years, nonstop. Two, like she said, you can create passive income from your house or just have an asset. So people just want to have theirs, have it theirs. And no one telling you you can't paint the walls a certain color. No one telling you you can't throw a rager in the backyard. If you own an apartment, you have neighbors. They're not going to let you go jump off your balcony. It's probably violating some rules. But if you want to have a rager, you know, you're that age, you can jump off your own porch. They don't care. It's your house. Um, and I just a lot of people talk about this decline, this correction. One, it's not going to be like 2008. Everyone I've talked to, including experts, like people who have been in real estate since the 80s, and they've been through three or four market drops, 
don't think it's going to be like 2008 because like you said, we're, we don't have enough inventory. And two, banks were loaning on over the entire value of a house in 2008, 120% of what your home is worth. Now they won't give you up to 80 or 90, depending on the bank. You don't even get 100% of what your home is worth. And even when the market crashed in 2008, the values of homes were back to what they were in three and a half years. So if you buy, if Daniela buys a house tomorrow for $500,000 and it crashes the day after, knock on wood, it's not going to happen. But the last time, the worst crash that is in US history for real estate, three and a half years later, they were back at the same price. Her mortgage is the same. Her market or her house is going to appreciate after that and be worth more and more and more for the next 27 years. So historically, even with the worst crashes, it is still advantageous to own over rent for the long term. So contact Daniela. <laughs> contact me for all your real estate needs. Exactly. But no, seriously, it, it always is more advantageous because you're not throwing any money away. Um, at the very least, you know, you're breaking even. And here's here's something that someone asked me, and I, I don't remember like the, the full context of the conversation, but long story short, they said, Well, what if I want to sell later? and I end up losing money on it. Guess what my answer was? If you are in a place in life where selling would make you lose money on the investment you made, then that's not the market for you to sell, then you just hold and rent. That's the answer. You, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm gonna purchase this home at more than what it's worth, quote unquote not the case. You're purchasing it at market value because market value is whatever a willing and able buyer looking for a home is willing and able to pay for it. So that's market value. Um, and you shouldn't be afraid that you're purchasing something at X number. And then what if you end up losing money on it later when you, when you go to sell, well, then don't sell it. Just rent it. Rent it until the market is on your side for you to sell and actually make a profit. Because- yeah. Unless you're in, you know, very difficult circumstances in life, you probably like don't need to sell a home unless you like need quick cash or something. And if you, you know, if you do need quick cash, then like you're not going to have it if you're selling at a loss. So like, again, why would you sell? It just doesn't make sense for a person at that point. There's, there's almost zero chance that that's going to happen. There's almost no scenario where that's what's going to happen. Um, and now, so, you know, talked about all these things that, you know, inflation, current events, cost of living is going up from everything from housing to food, to oil to, and gas, to stuff overseas. As a real estate agent, are you doing anything to prepare for if there is a crash earlier than what we're expecting or something that is going to heavily impact business? Are you preparing for anything like that? I think my biggest way to prepare for that is to expand my network as best as I can to as many places as I can. So I've already naturally been doing that thanks to the type of clientele that I have that move around the world. So, you know, when, when things get tough in my location, wherever I may be, I need to know that I always have an avenue of passive income elsewhere. So, um, and I do so far in the two years that I've been in real estate, 
both years consistently, a third of my business was passive income. So um, I think that's, that's my best way to prepare is just to, to expand my network as much as possible, to expand my, my passive income as much as possible. But on another level, to invest money into real estate myself, because people are always going to need a place to live, whether they buy it or rent it. So I am in the process of purchasing my own property and then I'll be able to rent that as well and increase my passive income avenues. Yeah. And, you know, we obviously 3F podcast, family, fitness and finance, who are always about that passive income side that in case something were to happen to you or you just want to retire early and work, you don't want to work seven days a week as a realtor, whether you love it or not, you want to work four days a week or go back to marketing or whatever it is, that passive income stream that's coming in is going to feed your lifestyle to where you now have a choice to work. You're financially independent where everyone else has to work till they're 65, but you can choose to work what you want to work until you're 50 or 60 or 80, whatever you choose to do. So we're obviously we're big fans of the show of passive income. Exactly. And you just have to, to plant your seed in as, in as many places as you can. And um, you know, there have been months where, I didn't have any direct sales that were closing in those months, but then, you know, the following months, all of them are closing at once. So that's how real estate works. There, there may be weeks, months where you don't make a dollar. So what has been super helpful to me is these passive income avenues. Like there was the month that you closed, the month that you closed on, on your home in Charleston with Holly, who I referred you to who naturally through referrals, I get some, a piece of the pie. That month, I didn't have any sales closing in my personal location, like in Charlotte, but I made money anyway from the sale of your home. And I made money anyway from the sales that are happening in Delaware through my team. But I didn't have any personal Charlotte sales closing and I didn't miss a paycheck. You know, and that's the goal. The goal is to continue to replicate that. Now, do you have something coming up? Like, is there anything that you're trying to create uh, either, whether it be through coaching or online courses or one-on-one or maybe another team that you're trying to build or do you kind of just stick with the, what you have now for your passive income? Um, well, having a rental, um, having at least one rental by the end of the year is my next avenue of passive income. So mm. the, the goal really is to purchase this home, move into it for six months and then purchase another one. Um, and hopefully I'll do that before the end of the year. Um, but yeah, that, that's my, the next thing I'm tapping into. Getting back to the, oh, my bad, man. Um, getting back to the whole planting seeds and, and networking and everything like that. Do you have any like professional relationships that you're building right now with investors, seeing as you're basically going to be one within the next year? Are you building those relationships with them or is it mostly just the personal home buyers right now or your repeat business? That's a good question. So I get personal joy from primary residence homes. Like I really, I love it. I love, that's my jam. Um, I'm not a numbers person. I know that in my business, I have to deal with numbers quite often, but I really don't enjoy it. So it doesn't bring me personal satisfaction. Um, so I don't, 
I don't see myself shifting completely to investors or primarily to investors, but I do have those relationships. Um, and I have done um, these passive referrals for investors to purchase homes in other states. Um, and let's say, you know, an investor came to me and said they wanted to purchase a, an investment property with me in Charlotte, where I'm located. I might even choose to refer that out just because I know that I may not be the best fit for exactly what you're looking for. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to wing something or I don't want to like pretend, um, I want people to genuinely have a good experience and to, to see honesty and transparency from me. That's good. And I think, you know, that's a, as an investor, I appreciate that because, you know, outside of maybe like trying to solve someone's issue, you know, like maybe a, a divorced couple or a family that's trying to sell a house because a family member passed away or, you know, some like financial hardship, you know, we're trying to get the house for bottom dollar. We are trying to squeeze every money because we make our money when we buy, especially if you're buying a house that's distressed and we have to make repairs. You have a long closing process like I have in my house in North Carolina. It's been a year. God, I'm going like close. But, you know, you, we're trying to, as investors, we're trying to squeeze as much as we can to make our dollar last longer. And, you know, at your commission-based person and you know you would lose some of that enjoyment had you would you have gone to investor only or even majority investors even if you got more business it wouldn't be as enjoyable for you you, you wouldn't be able to take photos investors aren't on the, the front lawn jumping up in the air with confetti when they buy another investment property they're like handshake thanks buy maybe have a lunch you know with you know you came to our house you took photos of me my son and my wife and you know, Holly did the same. She, we would get confetti at our house. We bought our house here in Charleston. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of joy, that memory that you share, you know, like people take that piece of you, that memory of you and the memory of Holly that I'm going to have moving to these houses in the future. If I go overseas or if I go to another state, you, you guys are always going to be there with us. I can't tell you who sold you my investment house. I probably don't even have their number. <laughs> and, you know, people, people are in this line of work for different wise. And my why was that I didn't want to sell a piece of property. I wanted to sell an experience and I wanted to be a part of the journey. And I wanted the joy that I used to get when I would walk around my college campus raving about the experience that I was having as a student there and come join me, come take my hand, come be a part of this with me. And I can't tell you how many times I, the next academic year, I'd be walking around campus and somebody would stop me and be like, Daniela, you gave me my tour and I'm so happy to be here, you know? And I get that same satisfaction from these, the clients that I have now in, in, in these types of sales, you know, I'm not selling the experience of a school anymore, but I'm selling the experience of a home, of a journey, of a milestone for your family. So um, the calls and the messages and the gifts that I receive and the reviews that I receive of like, you did this, you were a part of this. And, you know, anytime they talk about how they started this journey in their home or how they made bank by selling their home, I'm a part of the story. Like my name comes up. So, I mean, call me cheesy and you might say, oh, Daniela, you could make a lot more money if you focus more on the numbers. And if you if you, you know, worked more with investors, keep my bank account out of your mouth. Like, you know, <laughs> my pocket is fine and my bank account is fine. Like I'm not lacking and I feel joy with what I'm doing. So I'm not looking for like 
temporary cash. I'm looking for like long-term relationships. And these are the ones that are going to keep my bank account flowing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, especially being on that end, it, it's way more important being on the receiving end. It is way more important to have that relationship and have those memories. Um, so we're going to start moving into our final questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so our first one is it's two parts. How does your family life and your friend, your social structure keep you successful and how do you keep it positive? Okay. So I think my family keeps me successful because when I eat, my family eats. So just a little background, um, my brother and I moved to the U.S. when we were, I was 10, he was 12 with my parents. So we grew up in an immigrant household where our parents were the typical immigrant parents that just worked all the time, manual labor jobs. And, you know, we never lacked any of our needs um, like food or clothes or a roof over our heads. But what I really lacked was time with my parents um, growing up. So I would say that now that I'm in a position where I'm financially independent, um, financially comfortable, and I, I just, I don't want my parents to work anymore. So and neither does my brother. And my brother is thankfully in a similar position as me. So we got to a point where we decided we are retiring our parents early. Um, so we retired my dad last year and my brother and I started to take over um, the part of the finances that my dad's work used to supplement. And this year, the goal is to retire mom next. So I have to be financially successful. I have to increase my, because I want to live a comfortable life and I don't want to like limit myself, but also because my parents cannot keep working. I like, I won't allow it another year. And on another note too, I, I hope to have a future generation. So I need to set that generation up for success too. So I have that sense of responsibility and that's why I work so hard, but also I love what I do. So it's not hard to work hard. Um, and then two, how do I keep it positive? Um, when Daniela is missing the things that she wants and needs, Daniela becomes a very crappy person. So <laughs> the way that I keep things positive is by ensuring that I got what I need. Like if I feel like eating out once a day at my favorite restaurants, I do that regardless of how much it costs or how much time it takes out of my day. If I feel like sleeping for nine hours straight, I do that because I know myself and I know that I need what I need and I'll be a crappy person if I don't have that. So I take care of myself. Like that's how I keep things positive. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, do you, uh, are you into the fitness at all? You know, how does, if you're into fitness, how does it, how does it improve your life? And what do you do with your fitness and diet, if at all? Um, I'm just curious. That's one of the next questions, by the way. Oh, um, I do go to a gym. Um, it's called ISI Elite Training. Shout out to them. But I do go to, it's a group exercise type of gym. So um, accountability is pretty high. And I enjoy it because I make friends there too. And I actually got a client out of the gym. So that was super fun. But yes, yeah, so I do go to the gym. Um, and 
in terms of diet, I just eat whatever I feel like eating. I'm blessed that I don't, you know, gain weight or lose weight easily. Like I, my, my weight just kind of, st- like I'm a little person. So, um, yeah, I'm never thinking about like, oh, I need to lose these few pounds. So I'm not going to, I'm going to go on a diet. I just eat whatever my heart desires. <laughs> Sheesh. I know you, a lot of people are probably jealous of that. Yeah. I'm jealous of that. Sheesh. I got to like do three cardio sessions a day just to stay sub 200. I'm cheesy. Anyway, do you, um, do you find it hard to kind of keep a fitness schedule with your busy schedule? Cause you're basically working every day of the week and I don't necessarily know what hours you work, but it seems like you work really, really hard. So is there any way that you kind of stay consistent with that? Are there any um, challenges with that at all? Yeah. So this gym in particular, they, um, I picked it for a reason. Um, they have s- specific hours where they do sessions. The gym's not just open at any hour of the day. So if I didn't make it to my session, then I missed that day. Like I have specific time periods where I could go. And if I missed every single one of them, I didn't work out that day. So like, I do feel bad when I don't work out. Um, so I just schedule it in advance usually. And that's how I stay accountable. Um, and also a good way is to do it like first thing in the morning before you do anything else. So mm-hmm. like wake up, run, get that done. And then you have the whole day for yourself. Um, I'm a big what fan was your second of, yeah, question? Uh, that, I don't know if it's saying, but I would say I'm a big fan of knocking it out early in the morning. If you do your, your gym and like read a book or whatever your like personal improvement thing is besides the gym before 7 a.m., you feel so much better throughout the day. I feel like hands down. Uh, was there a second part, Jeff? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, I thought there was. Basically, it was like all, all the same thing. I just want to know if there was any challenges with that at all because you're you're a very busy professional. You're doing your thing over there. So just yeah, so there to are challenges. So so what I what I answered was more so, you know, best case scenario, most days are scheduled in advance and planned. But because my business just has things that come up randomly, there are days where I miss it. You know, there are days where I cancel my session because I'm like, crap, I got caught up on this one thing and I just really got to get it done. Um, so there are days where, where I don't work out. And on the days that I don't work out, I feel bad. And when I feel bad for not doing something, I get in a crappy mood and oh. then everything starts spiraling down. <laughs> so you so we don't want to um but yeah and then just going back to you know yeah I it feels like I work like seven days a week there are days of the week where I may have worked but I worked for a total of one hour you know there may be days where I'm running errands all day or I might be at Target for like five hours doing nothing and I'm working because I'm just texting my clients back or I did a couple of phone calls in the car. But there are days where I sit at my computer from sunrise to sunset. That's definitely a busy work life. And it's good that you don't have every day is like that extreme. No, and, um, I do want to say... Before we get to the last question, this has been back-to-back weeks that we have had extremely successful immigrants as our guests on the show. I just want to bring that up. Last week, we had Mr. Love, a.k.a. Exit Comfort Zone, uh, and now we have Daniela, a.k.a. The Selling Realtor. 
immigrants from different stages of life from Norway and Peru to be on the show. I feel like that is an amazing feat to have on back-to-back weeks. So congratulations to you. And we never said it last week, but to also to Mr. Love. That's awesome. Thank you. I feel honored. I'm so glad to be a part of this. Um, I told, <laughs> I told CZ before, um, um, we were just texting. I was like, I ramble, so you're going to have to edit me out. <laughs> but um, I'm really glad that, that, you know, we, we've done this and, and you guys have made me feel so comfortable to, to ramble like I do. So I hope that there are little nuggets of value that the listeners can take from this. I, I also have one last question um, before we officially cut it. The last of the three F. Would you have a single big piece of financial advice that you could offer to whoever's listening today? Yes. Um, and I actually wrote this down. So this is something that my parents always raised us with, um, but I added one piece to it. So especially my mom, she would, she was like the budgeter in, in our, in our household. And she would always say, you know, if you have $10, you spend X number, you invest X number, you save X number. But I changed it up a bit. I say, if I have $10, I spend four, I invest three, I save two, and I help someone else with the last one. And, um, you know, growing up, sometimes things were really tight. So there wasn't that luxury of like helping someone else, um, you know, without harming what the kids could get at home. But um, I, I'm very big on giving back. So I would say if you have $10, spend four, invest three, save two and help someone else with one. And something that um, I'm, so grateful to have been able to do this past year. Um, and thanks to my clients for the opportunities they gave me is I was able to give a scholarship um, for one of the programs that my university provides um, that I was a part of when, when I went to school there. Um, I did this program and I earned a scholarship to do it. And I was able to give that scholarship thanks to the income that my work allows me to have. So cheers again to, again to my clients. That is, that is probably one of the the greatest things I've heard then. So thank you for that. And I'm sure whoever received that is extremely thankful as well. That, that shows a great deal of character that you have a lot of people. I would say 99 percent of people would never do that. Well, thank you. So um, with that from the three F family, thank you. uh, And Jeff, myself, uh, we really appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, answering a lot of questions on a real estate specific uh, podcast. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate being a part of it. No problem. You have a good night. Thank you all. Good night. Later.